I'm Harry Nichols. This is Kid Stuff. I'm a teacher and indie musician living and performing in upstate New York. And on this podcast, I'm sitting down with creatives of all sorts to talk about their own adolescence and how they came to be the adults that they are today. This month, I got to talk to teacher, rapper, hero, Mega Ran. Mega Ran has been a major figure in the nerdcore hip hop world, touring internationally and bringing powerful, positive messages to rap music. His recent LP, Live 95, reached number six on the Billboard hip hop charts And personally, I have been a fan for many years, so this was a really, really special one for me. I'm excited to get to the interview, but before we do, I want to make sure to mention that I have a new record on the horizon. My third LP, Songs for the Rich and Beautiful, will be coming out this fall, so be sure to follow me on all the social, at Harry Nichols Music on Facebook and Instagram, to hear the story from the beginning. As usual, all the music you hear on the podcast is linked in the show notes. All right, everybody, here's Mega Ran. Megaran, thank you so much for joining me on this, man. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. This has been uh, a crazy time for me, but I'm happy to sit down for interesting podcasts and interesting topics. Yeah, man. So, uh, so yeah, I'm just all about it. A lot of what I do is kind of rooted in nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wrote a book, and a lot of it is about the crazy times and stories I've had, which have made me kind of the person I am today. So. There's a lot of that. That's a common theme within my work. So being able to talk about the past and how it, you know, shapes the future is like really, really important to what I do. Definitely. So, I, I mean, you, you you jump in on that that topic already. I, I kind of wanted to talk at least a little bit about like the idea of fandom with you. I sense that you and I kind of might have had sort of similar experiences with like um, just being drawn to particular stories or particular media and having that really kind of sculpt the people that we were then and also the people that we are now, you know, what were you into as a kid and, and, and how do you see that continuing to sculpt who you are? Well, I think being a, uh, oh, man, I was into, I was always into, you know, I was a very, I guess, curious kid. I would say that's the best way to put it. I was mm-hmm. curious. I always wanted to learn more and do more and figure things out. So I tinkered a lot. I had toys, but I would take them apart and figure out how they worked and put them back together. Um, you know, I did a lot of reading, a lot of studying, a lot of reading comic books, a lot of cartoons, anime, um, video games. Uh, yeah, anything I could get my hands on usually, you know, that would pique my curiosity, you know. So I was big into tech because of just the idea of taking things apart, rigging them and trying something new. You know, that was really a big part of my childhood. I I hear that totally, the idea of taking things apart. I have this memory when I was in third grade. I can tell you exactly when it was. I was in third grade and uh, they just brought in a bunch of like old, like defunct tech, like like remote controls and speaker systems that didn't work anymore. And um, and they just like let us like go at it. You know what I mean? Like it was just such a like a fun uh exploratory experience you know um that's cool sounds like kind of you were in like the same kind of like oh activities play you know 
Yeah, man, that reminded me of like science classes early on yeah. where they would give you the battery and the wire and the light bulb, <laughs> you know, and you'd like try to figure. And I think that was kind of when it hit me like, oh, man, like if you put things together, like you can make, you know, cool stuff happen. Like a light can go off, you know. Right, right. So my G.I. Joe's, I would take them apart, put them onto other bodies and make all new characters. And, oh, sick, you man. Know, you know, airplane or, or vehicle parts, I'd take apart and, you know, put them on other things and make new versions of stuff. Like that was remixing was definitely a big, uh, big part of what I was doing. Hell yeah. Well, hell yeah. And I mean, like, that's, that's so funny. It makes me think of like, not that, not that you at all were like this, but it makes me think of Sid in Toy Story and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh God, I wasn't that bad, but yeah, to start making mutant creations. Yeah. It was kind of like that, but just not as a bad, you know, bad, right, kid. Not as but, a bad human being. Yeah. No, but no, no, yeah. No. But, but similarly, yeah, I was trying new things out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's like, that's really cool. And I think that that speaks to the ways that we can take pre-existing things and, and turn them into creative material, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a really important thing. Well, I think that seems to me as a consumer of your music, uh, you know, like this seems to be important to what you do as well, right? Like you take, mm. you know, pre-existing art, video games, uh, you know, TV, that kind of thing. And you, you kind of, you, you use it as a, a way to convey your feelings on those matters, you know? Yeah, this is, this is interesting. This is an angle that I've really never thought about. Like, even as I wrote the book, like I didn't make this connection that so much of my, you know, early childhood was me remixing things and then I would go on to remix things as an adult and make a career out of it so I I never placed that but (laughs) but yeah man I would take the little recorder sit it in front of the video games when I beat the game and then put the game you know the game soundtrack cassette in my Walkman and come to school with it just listening to those tunes over and over again oh man you know and um, they were such a big part of me so later when I learned how to like produce and make beats and, and rap I was like, wow, well, maybe some of these old things that I've been in my head since I was in third grade, you know, will will kind of help me here. So I would go back to those tunes mm-hmm. and they still sounded good. And so those were a lot of my inspiration for remixing, you know, whether it was Mega Man or Final Fantasy or yeah. various retro titles, you know, um, that that's that's definitely came from, you know, that curiosity for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and also, I mean, it's it's helpful that that music has that power of nostalgia to it, too. You know what I mean? Like, it, I think video game music, even more so to some extent than like film soundtracks and things like really like wires it's into like people's souls, you know, and their and their emotions. And Oh, absolutely. I think because you're playing a level over and over again, trying to beat it, you know, some of us probably were like that with like 80s movies like maybe you had one or two vhs movies right you watched them over and over again and you knew them you know right. like the first robocop or right. ghostbusters <laughs> or you know top gun or whatever like a lot of us just knew these movies in and out you know sure. so so maybe like the, the way those scripts stay with us man like video game songs and themes because we playing the levels over and over again trying to beat them you know we're, we're like drilled into our heads as kids and um and they still sound good today which is really cool you know i think sometimes you can look back on your past i heard two quotes about nostalgia they say nostalgia is undefeated and uh and nostalgia is it's just bad taste with a better with a better like with rose-colored glasses on. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, you that's... know, you can look back at things you were really into when you were 
15 and they're probably not, you know, something you'd, you'd bother with today. But um, but that's uh, there's something about that sound, that era, mm-hmm. you know, for 8-bit video games that, you know, it's just such a special, you know, time. I heard that somebody said that the uh, the Super Mario Brothers theme is like more widely known by like children eight to eight or eight to 80 people, you know, all over the world. Yeah. Than than anything, you know, than I don't know, Mickey Mouse or whatever, you know. Right. It's just one of those things that do 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 you like you know it, you know, right. and it's just it's just universal and it just never got old, you know. For me it's all about the baseline to that one. I love that like ooh, 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 yeah right like the <laughs> Yeah I love um, that I contend uh, that the Super Mario Brothers theme song is like one of the great pieces of music of the 20th century. I'm just going to throw it out there. It's a bold statement, but... Um, no argument for me. Yeah, I didn't think I would get one from you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's masterful art. And um, the fact that, you know, working with such limited capacity to create this music that has to loop over right, and over again right. so that the gamer and the gamer can have music to play with but not get tired of it right you know it has to be a phenomenal piece of music you know and um yeah it's just a it's a great great piece of music sure well and i mean and and also to talk about like economy for a second right like you only had what like four voices on the nes and then if like if yeah. you had to have a sound effect or something right yeah, one of those yeah. voices drops out <laughs> you know? yep <laughs> Pretty crazy, you know, and to be able to make a, a, a timeless tune out of that right. is just insane. That was a uh, Koji Kondo, I believe, who like should be considered, you know, the way we talk about Mozart. Right. You know what I mean? And folks like that, man, we should be talking about Koji Kondo in that way. had to put a couple of adjectives right to who you were as an adolescent and for our purposes why don't we call it like 12 to 19 anywhere in there like what 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 are some words that come to mind for you man um i think that's really when i began to find myself so i would say um unique you know i was definitely a very different kid at that time and um and learning how to just understand that and how different I was, mm-hmm. was a, was a process that I think I figured out by maybe by the end of high school. But, but I remember like trying to fit in with the, with the cool kids, but also being, you know, a big fan of video games, comic books, like mm-hmm. things that we were getting teased for liking, right. You know, so it wasn't necessarily easy to be a fan of those things. So we would have to kind of sneak and a couple of buddies of ours would, you know, I, I was still able to kind of find my tribe, you know, where we would mm. talk about wrestling every morning or talk about comics every morning, you know, and, and but still be kind of safe from the, you know, the cool kids or the bullies. Um, so it was really when I began to find myself, I think. And um, I think just comfort is probably a big, uh, big adjective there, mm. because I feel like I found some comfort in who I was like. I kept trying to figure out who I was and, and trying to change that to fit someone's mold, but realizing, Hey man, I am a little different and, uh, and it's okay. Mm. You know, I think it's what happened during those years for sure. 
Yeah. And I mean, I definitely remember struggles to come to that conclusion that that being kind of a weirdo, you know, kind of a nerd, right? Mm-hmm. Like that those things were okay. I think, um, you know, we were both kind of going through school at a time, kind of like the last age when being into genres, being being kind of nerdy, just to put a, a wide term to it, was like something that was n- was not as marketable. You know what I mean? Like I, I so I'm I'm an eighth grade English teacher right now, actually, and so I kind of see what kids are are up to and about right now. And there's like it, it feels to me observing my students that there is like there is more of a niche carved out for kids who are into that kind of thing for kids who are like into video games into comics into all those things that like star wars you know stuff that it seems like a little bit earlier on i remember feeling outcast by you know what i mean um i have this memory of i was a huge star wars nerd like my my big thing in mm-hmm. like sixth, seventh, eighth grade was, was like, I was like, so, so heavy into star Wars. Um, and, uh, it was not, it was not cool. I remember it was like, uh, episode one was coming out at the time and I was super duper excited. And, uh, I remember sitting in class and being asked directly by a student. I was pretty good at masking my like obsession and, and fervor about it. And my yeah. friends were not as good at, <laughs> at masking it. And, uh, and being asked if I was like, I think the exact she words she was, she used were like, Harry, you're not one of those star Wars freaks. Are you? And I remember, like kind of buckling under that pressure, you know, mm-hmm. and sort of being mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, nah. yeah, I like the movies. I'm yeah. not that into it. You know, to this day, I'm, I'm paying some sort of cosmic debt for that. <laughs> <laughs> for, for your, I mean, that's, but that's just, we are our peer groups and our peer groups are everything, you know, at that age, yeah. you know, so I understand, you know, I might've done the same thing at some point, you know, yeah. and I remember bringing video game books or comic books to school and try to read on my like downtime, but then like covering them up with like a sports illustrated yeah. or something else on the cover so that the kids would think I was reading something cool, you know? Uh, so, so anything, yeah, I was, really, you know. <laughs> anything pretty much, you know, just like, Oh, you're over there reading, you know? Right. Right. Uh, so, you know, people at that age, it's something that's super expected, you know, you know, you teach kids this, you know, at that age. Yeah. So, and I did for a long time and I, yeah peer groups are everything so it's like if one of your peers is like showing a little bit of like non-acceptance to something that you are into you you're definitely willing to kind of bend a little bit and be like nah right right i'm not that into it you know yeah Yeah. it's natural it doesn't take much you know but it's it's crazy just given how central to my to the formation of my identity a lot of those things really were i grew up and and i have a a ridiculous star wars shrine that i'll I'll, maybe i'll show you later but uh and i like you know i in my creative life i i wrote a like a nine minute star wars mini rock opera you know what i mean things that like turned into like really major aspects of who I was and I knew that they were major aspects of who I was as well at the time it's just I guess it just speaks to how powerful that peer group is you know
Oh yeah, absolutely. And that, yeah, I think maybe you are paying a cosmic debt of some sort, but, (laughs) but nah, I think that star Wars has forgiven you. There's been plenty, I think plenty of folks who have done the same thing or worse, you know, sure. Yeah. You know, denying their fandom or their true love, you know, in order to gain acceptance. So it's a normal thing. It is. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this is anyway. This is why I had you on the podcast, basically just to reassure me. Uh, nah, say, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Glad to help. You know, just needed. Uh, I needed just need a Mega Rand to come on and just tell me that uh, you know I'm a good nerd. Uh, so, so let me ask you a little bit about. Um, you know, your career at this point then, right? Like, so we've established that you've kind of, you've talked, you, you were, you know, you were into, to, to the nerdy things as a, as a young man and uh, coming up and getting into performing and then getting to, to make waves and make art in that field is like a really incredible thing. And I want to know what experiences have you had professionally that kind of like tickled your adolescent self? Oh my God. Um, this is, this is a great question. It's honestly, man, almost everything. I mean, the, the, the day that I decided I was going to leave teaching was based on the reception I had gotten from a final fantasy based rap album, you know, there's a massive company called Shinra. I don't know exactly what they answer, but they want to get control of their life stream. And I just can't let that continue. They don't care who they hurt, who they injure, want to turn the whole planet against us. So it's simple. You join the resistance or you wind up going against us. My name is Barrett. And uh, getting attention from the, the developers of the game and from PlayStation Magazine and from comic cons all over the world who wanted to book me and have me play. So this is like something that 12 year old Raheem would never have believed. Right. You know, and then to go from that to a chance meeting or listening, I have no idea how uh, a wrestler, Xavier Woods, gets mm-hmm. a hold of my music. It's a big fan. He's a huge gamer. Uh, he's like about to go to the WWE, which is like the biggest thing right. there is. Uh, but right before then, he finds my music. He says, oh, my gosh, this guy's cool. Maybe I could use one of his songs to come to the ring with. And uh, and then he says, hey. I think I'm about to get signed to the WWE and I'm like, what? And then they go on to become major mega stars. Yeah. And then like, and then to bring me along on that journey to be like, Hey, I'm going to WrestleMania. Do you want to go? Oh, hey, 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 there's going to be a, a SmackDown event in your town. Would you like to be a part of a skit? You know? Oh man. I'm like, what do I get to come down the aisle? Like I get to <laughs> slap hands with people. Like, my music has played at, you know, in arenas of a hundred thousand people. Like it's insane. You know what That's I mean? Amazing. Like I, 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 man, like I joke about it sometimes. I'm like, man, I can't, I, I my bucket list has been scratched 10 times over yeah. at this point. Like I have to write a new bucket list. Like these are things that maybe weren't even on my list because I just didn't think they were possible, mm. you know, especially for my young self to be like, Man, you know, literally being a wrestling fan since the 80s and then to have to appear on WWE television like that sounds insane, you know, and to not be a wrestler, you know, like, like, okay, I didn't, you know, spend 25 years busting my behind, you know, learning how to fall, you know, but yet, but being able to because of my music, because of my passion for games like not having to hide any piece of me Mm -hmm. and still being accepted into these worlds like it's just insane you know so 
mostly everything that's happened over the past 10 years are events or moments that would uh would please younger mega ran i mean uh i don't remember the year but i can bring up some some very specific ones south by southwest this is a big festival in austin texas um playing the show with mc lars and um and it's a twitch show and i'm like okay twitch me we we you know we're we're all on the same page it's gaming it's music whatever um, and they're like, hey, we have some special guests on this show that you're on. I'm like, who's the special guest? They said Grandmaster Flash and Snoop Dogg. Oh, shit. Now, <laughs> right. That's me. That's my response. Oh, right. shit. Like, the very first rap song I've ever heard was Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Yeah, man. The message, don't push me because I'm close to to Snoop Dogg, probably the greatest, like biggest, you know, most well-known rapper of all time. Oh yeah, and, and we're sharing a bill, so uh, we're doing the the sound checking, and we're just we're doing a rap. And and Lars and I, we have we have an album called the Dewey Decibel System, so it's yep. very nerdy, it's all about books, super nerdy. And I'm like, are we gonna play these songs to a Snoop Dogg crowd? <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, we we start rehearsing a song about Telltale Heart. And uh, and we're going boom. That's the sound of the heart breaking doom. And the four boys up in the room. Boom. That's the sound of the heart breaking doom. And the four boys up in the room. All every night like boom, 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 boom. The sound of the heart breaking doom. And the four boys up in the room. All every night like boom. And Snoop Dogg comes out of his dressing room to be like, "Hey, who was that? Who who's that on stage? Hey." <laughs> Hey, keep it up, nephew, and like, and just keeps walking, and we're just like, ah, oh, what is my life? Oh shit, man! You know what I mean? I'm like, what the heck? Wow. That's Uncle Snoop. So like, things like that, we're just like, come on, man! Like that, that, that doesn't happen. Like that's just insane. Like there's no way I could have ever predicted an event like that taking place. So yeah, wow. Two thousand six was when I started my rap career. I wasn't yeah. like, I wasn't like full time, but I made my first album and I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a trip to Los Angeles to to watch, not even perform, but to watch a show called Rock the Bells. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rock the Bells is this huge hip hop event. I think the main event, uh, the main uh, thing in wrestling terms, but the headliner right. was um, was Wu Tang Clan. But like everybody's on this show, it's just insane. And um, I somehow I bring a few of my CDs because I'm like, hey man, you never know, I might run into somebody and want to give them a CD. And so a security guard by the side of the stage, he sees me with these CDs, and he's like, hey man, what are you what are you trying to do with those? And I was like, I don't know, just give them to some people maybe. And he's like, uh, well. I mean, there's a lot of people back here that could probably, you know, benefit from that. And I was like, huh, really? And he's like, tell you what, you give me one of those CDs. I'll open, I'll let you back there. But if you get caught, you don't know me. <laughs> and I'm like, no problem. Gave him a CD and he let me walk to the back. And I was just like awestruck. I saw Wu-Tang. I saw De La Soul. I saw Child Call wow. Quest, like all the people that I grew up listening to. Yeah, man. And, um, and nobody gave me the time of day. You know what I mean? Like I, I've handed out some CDs that I'm sure no one ever, you know, looked at. Sure. Um, so then to fast forward to literally 
where are we? This is the 2022. That's uh, what? 16, 15 years later. Yeah. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game soundtrack comes out June of 2022. I'm on it. And so is Raekwon and Ghostface of the Wu-Tang Clan. Sweet. Like, what are the odds? You know what I mean? Like, this is just like young 12-year-old me would be like, no way. Like, the Ninja Turtles game took so many of my quarters when I was young. Mm -hmm. So then to be a big part of this, like, I was asked by uh, the producer, T. Lopes, to do a, um, a rap for the ending credits theme. And so here I am on the same game as Raekwon and Ghostface. It's like, we're going to be on the same record. Like it's insane. That's so yeah, that's fucking like, insane. <laughs> that, that kind of stuff, you know, where it's like younger me would be like, ain't no way. Like you should just stop lying right now. Like this is not happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So just the perspective of being that guy who was begging to get backstage and trying to see, you know, just, I don't know, trying to get a, a break somewhere mm-hmm. and, you know, into like maybe my hard work, will get me the break, you know? And so, and then not, and the perseverance of not giving up will get me the break. And sure enough, it did, man. That's beautiful. You know, part of this podcast is about like reflecting on ourselves as adolescents, but also like thinking about our interactions as adults with kids, you know, um, and just like what that was like. So, so I would love to ask what, um, what was the experience of leaving teaching like? Um, what kind of thoughts are going through your head? Uh, and, and, and how did you ultimately come to that conclusion? Man, I was scared to death, but um, I taught middle school in Phoenix. Before that, it was in, I was a substitute in Philadelphia before I moved out here mm-hmm. for a full-time job. Okay. Um, taught about three years here. And then, um, things started working out for me like music wise where people were asking me to come out and play shows. Mm -hmm. So they're like, Hey, come to Boston, come to LA, come here, come there. And I'm like, okay, let's go. And, um, unfortunately, you know, I was running out of like days I could take off, you know, where it's like, you can't keep doing this. And, um, so the principal was like, Hey, um, I'm gonna have to dock you. Like, you know, you don't have a, you don't have a day here. So, I got to dock you. And that started happening where I was just like, oh, well, I got to take a Friday because I'm flying. I got to take a Monday because I'm coming back late. And I knew that I I couldn't be the best teacher I could be if that was going to keep happening. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in middle school, especially, you know, kids need consistency more than anything. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's tough because that's an age where they really don't get a lot of it, you know. So Mm. uh, it's really literally the toughest, you know, age for kids. So understanding that, I just knew that I wasn't going to, I wasn't being the best teacher I could be and I wanted to be better. And so I was like, maybe this isn't the time for teaching because music is so flighty fly by night that this could end in a month. You know, no one could want to hear from Mega Ran in a month and then I'll go back to teaching, you know? So that's kind of what I thought. I was like, well, let me, let me try to make the most of this moment where I'm hot and people care about me. And, um, and this is in 2011. And, um, you know, I just gone viral with the Black Materia album. Um, a couple of years before that was the Mega Man Project. I got asked to tour with MC Chris and do two months all over the country. And I was like, there's no way I can do all these things. So I got to I got to step down. 
you know? So um, I talked to my mom about it. She's like, okay, you know, you're making a plan, you're doing the right thing. But, you know, if it gets rough, like just go back, like try to go back, you know? And I'm like, you know, you can always teach. And that's not exactly true. People say that a lot, but (laughs) more or less you can, maybe, I don't know. I had emergency certification. And if you know about that, basically it's a two-year deal where you got to, you know, crap or get off the pot. So, you know, you better go to school, decide that you want to do this before we can re-up your contract. And I wasn't ready to (laughs) commit anyway. So I didn't know. So it was not a guarantee that I could just come back and teach. So, but I was like, you know what? I really want to do this. So yeah. um, wrote the letter of resignation, gave my boss two weeks notice. And um, long story short, by the end of the day, he fired me. He sent me home. Wow. Um, yep. Yeah, and he waited until the end of the day. Um, he came to my classroom and said, hey, um, I'm letting you go. Can you uh, count out your books and things now? Count out your, you know, whatever school utensils. I don't know. Like, cause God knows God. teachers want to steal things from right, steal yeah. these 20 year old textbooks. Sure. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and so, yeah, he's like, let's just start counting down and doing all these things. And, uh, and I was just like, Oh my gosh, but I don't even work here, man. And he's like, well, you don't get your final check unless you do all these things. Whoa, and man. I'm like, wow. So he was really petty and um yeah clear and, that sounds, yeah, it, it, sounds was extremely petty. Petty. it was like yeah. oh you can't quit me I quit you you know right and right. and that's what it was and so I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to my kids oh. or anything it was just like a regular Monday afternoon wow. and it was over and he's like oh but don't forget your um your report cards are due by the end of this week and no. I'm like what? so he's like he's like you're fired on the spot but I'm also going to need you to do some homework this week and like take care of this stuff. Yep. Yeah. Before you begin the rest of your life, you got to finish this. And I'm like, wait, are you kidding? He's like, yeah, you know, you got to do your final outstanding paperwork to get your final check. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God, man. I do it. And, uh, you know, I guess I could say it here now. I gave everybody an A. I was just like, I'm out of here, man. You guys get all, you guys get all A's. You didn't get a chance. You didn't give me a chance to say goodbye to my students. We could have had a little pizza party something. I don't know. And it was a very rough ending to my teaching career. So it made me feel like, wow, man, I don't want to even go back. You know, that's the way I feel now. You know, people always say like, why'd you quit teaching? I'd be like, well, it quit me first, you know, because I feel like I tried to do the right thing. I tried to give, you know, the proper notice and get put things in position where another teacher could take over and do well in that classroom. And they were just like, nah, you can go. Yeah, it was a rough, rough thing. And I was like, oh God, what do I do now? Like I was counting on two weeks of, you know, of work, of yeah. of pay. And I just had to figure it out. And then the offer of the tour came for uh, from MC Chris. And, and so I was like, well, maybe it was meant to be, you know, here we go. Let's go on this tour. Coming back from the pandemic in education right now, we're experiencing mm-hmm. um, just like, just an insane amount of turnover um, yeah. as far as teachers go. You know, I think a lot of teachers um, went away and taught remotely for a year um, and came back and it just, it's just hard. It's hard to, to re-enter that world, you know, um, and to like be in the classroom in the trenches like that and just, just kind of go back into it after experiencing this, this sort of year at home. And so um you know, the, the uh, two of the classrooms right next to me have had um, just constant teacher leaves, 
short-term sub after short-term sub after short-term sub. And it's just like, so, you know, you can definitely tell that, um, uh, you know, I'm glad you pointed out that like kids of that age need consistency. Um, and you can definitely tell that they, they haven't done as well. It's easy, I think, as a teacher to kind of forget the significance that you have in, in a kid's life, because it's a pretty thankless job overall. You know, I don't know if you experienced it as such, but. um, Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's one of the most rewarding, but it can also be a thankful, thankless job. I mean, it's the most rewarding in in ways that, you know, when you succeed, it feels really good, you know, Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't pay a whole lot. So Right, and, right, and you get all the blame when something goes wrong, and right, never right, get right, credit. Right. You know, it's 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 very tough. You know, but it takes a certain special person to do it. You know, and to do it well, and to want to do it well. And I, I, I meet so many people at shows. They come up to me like, "Hey, I'm I'm going to school to be a teacher. What should I? You know, what should I look for? What should I, you know, or I'm a teacher right now, and I'm just like, man, please do it because we need people there who love it." You know, like it's like it's so important. And if you don't love it, I say get out, you know. Right. And I've had friends be like, oh, man, this 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 distance learning and the Zoom teaching is just the pits, man. Like, what would you do? I'm like, ah, well, I'd probably quit. You know, (laughs) like Mm. if if you don't really if you're not feeling it, it might be time to move on. You know, yeah. Well, He's I think not, that I think that that's happening now. You know, like yeah, I think yeah. I think the people who are left, <laughs> are the yeah, people, the people who really love it, because right, exactly. you're not there for the paycheck. You know, right, right, right. right <laughs> you're there yeah. for the love. So I appreciate you and everybody else doing it for the love because we we need that. I want to ask you a little bit about um, uh, fatherhood, you know, okay. uh, you got a new little baby going on and yeah. uh, I would love to know yeah, how, how it is, man. Oh man, it's insane. We went from zero to, to baby, you know, it wasn't yes. like we, you know, we, we are foster parents, right? So right. we are not necessarily the the typical, you know, in nine months, you do your classes, you start learning about what, what's going to happen with a baby. It's just, you get a call. Hey, there's a four week old who's been neglected, who could really use some love. What do you say? And then right. you got to decide right then and there. So wow. okay. it, that's how it is. So it's like, well, we want to make a difference. That's why we signed up. So my wife and I were like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, we got this amazing baby boy. He is eight months old now. Uh, we got him when he was a month. And uh, he's just awesome. He's so happy, so chill, so observant, nice. you know, just looking all around, smiling at everybody. Um, and, you know, he came to us in, in some rough shape, you know, like they were like, he was drug exposed. He was, mm. you know, he had been through some really rough times and spent the first month of his life in a hospital, oh. you know, in a, in a baby drug ward, you know, which is like just depressing to think about, That's brutal. you know. And to come out of that, you know, and still be healthy, he's got all of his, you know, he's hitting all of his goals correctly. You know, okay. his, his therapist says he's right on track for everything. And she's like, this is because of you guys love, you know, mm-hmm. and I was just like, wow, like it really touched me that, you know, like I talk about with teaching, being able to make a difference, like foster parenting, same way, you know, instantly you're making a huge difference and impact, you know, and whether it's for a month or forever, it's like we get to kind of set him on a on a better path. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. So 
Yeah, it's been great, man. We took him on his first trip out of town this weekend. We took him on a plane. He went to L.A. <laughs> and he, he flew great. He was awesome. You know, just just really having a fun time, yeah. starting to eat solid foods. And yeah. he's great. But, um, you know, I'm not getting much sleep. Yeah, just I was about to say I, I, that was the next thing I was going to ask about. It's oh, like, yeah. You know, I'm mostly it, talking about him and the good parts, but my right. sleep schedule is screwed up. But <laughs> and and now, you know, I'm up five, six in the morning. And like I was never a morning person, but yeah, you will be when you have a kid. So, yeah, you just get used to it. And um, he he wakes us up. He'll sit up and be like, hey, we're up now. I'm like, oh, man, it's like five o'clock in the morning, you know, and he's like, yep, we're up now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just the way it's got to be. So. When he's up, you're up. So um, it's taught me a lot about myself. But the first few months, I just stayed up all night with him, watched a bunch of Sopranos. Nice. <laughs> in between like feedings and putting them down. So I caught up and watched the entire season. I had never watched Sopranos. So I watched the entire series during that time. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, like it's just been, you know, it's taught me a lot about myself. Like I didn't know if I could handle this, but yeah. now I know I can, you know? Yeah. Like you never know you can until you do it. That's amazing, man. Yeah, I have I have a vivid memory of watching. Um, uh, that's I, I watched Love, Death, and Robots the first season of that with my with my son. Nice. Uh, just like n- like nursing at my knuckle. I don't know if you do that trick. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just to try yep. to get him to fall back asleep. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering also just about your thoughts about masculinity right and the idea of raising a boy as a man raising a boy like what what do you what are your thoughts on that or or has that kind of come into play at all wow it hasn't yet but i i always kind of i make an occasional you know reference to it when he's with his mom he gets very very playful Mm -hmm. and sometimes he's kind of you know handsy he's touching he's maybe like just so excited he might like hit her in the face and i'm like hey 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 we don't do that you know Right, right 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 um so I haven't given it a lot of thought, man, but um, it is it is a challenge that I'm that I'm up to and I welcome like to be able to to raise a boy in this world, you know, and and I'll certainly teach him like that, you know, masculinity and being a man and things like that. And what what should be a man or what a man should be doing or thinking or feeling or acting like is it's all it's all garbage. You know, most of it's garbage, but it's all subjective, you know. Sure. And. And I want him to be comfortable with who he is and, and himself, but it's, and most importantly to treat people right, you yeah. know, and that's, that's really where I, I want him to be. I want him to be respectful of everybody and, mm-hmm. you know, and comfortable, but never having to feel like he has to fall into these, you know, these traps of masculinity, you know, because right, right. I went through it too. You know what I mean? Sure. Like growing up, we can, I could specifically think of so many times where, you know, you're caught in this situation where it's like, what's a man supposed to do from high school to college to wherever, you know, just getting in fights that just weren't necessary, yeah, you man. know, just arguments that aren't necessary, you know, mm-hmm. saying things like the things that we used to say, especially as, as rappers, come on now, like right, right. The things that we say about each other, you know, as put downs were like the absolute worst, you know? Yeah. And, and um, and yeah, it's so important to be able to to grow out of that and look back and be like, yeah, that was wrong. That was pretty dumb. You know, yeah. we get to kind of do better. We get a second chance. Like that's where 
I think that's what's so dope about being parents is we get to do do things a little better than our parents did mm-hmm. and uh, push push things forward the right way because now we know better so we can do better. Now I'm sure you heard about your favorite actor, comedian, entertainer, or whatever medium that he is in. He's in a little trouble over something that he did, something he's been doing since he was a kid, misusing his power and his influence on people for evil. And the matters now become legal. Let's talk about some things to make your interactions greater and keep you off the front page of this newspaper. First of all, let's talk and do some I have been concluding this whenever I whenever I do this with uh, just asking um, if you if you had one piece of advice that you could give to your adolescent self, hmm. what would it be? Man, like it, it's so simple, man. But I would just tell them like you're enough. Hmm. You are you are absolutely enough, man. Like because I went through so many peer groups, relationships, you know, romantic relationships where I just never felt like I was enough, you know, sure. or, you know, I wasn't the right type of person, you know, and something's must be wrong with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and to be able to, to get to this point in my life without changing that, you know, yeah. I would just, I would just let them know, like, man, you're enough. You're absolutely enough the way you are. So hang in there kiddo <laughs> yeah hell yeah that's inter- that's so interesting that's that's a really that's a very common thread with a lot of these interviews i have it kind of doesn't matter who i talk to just yeah. this concept of reinforcing the idea that that, that they're, they're enough yeah and it probably wouldn't work as a you know you know <laughs> right, adolescents right. <laughs> are like man whatever man i gotta be cool because this girl you know i gotta take this girl out or i gotta you know right. so yeah, it probably wouldn't work. I wouldn't listen to myself. So it would just be one of those things that you say to a kid and hope that it gets through on some level, right? Yeah, yeah, you just hope. You do, you do. Well, Mega Rand, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan of your music. Thank you so yeah. much for, for joining me on this. This is awesome. All right, thank you so much, man. Yeah. Great, great talk, great questions. This has been a lot of fun.